Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 11. And if you remember where we left off last week, you know, it's so beautiful to see the people of Israel, the camp. What's happening is they are on the move, on the move. In chapter 10, uh, verse 12, chapter 10, verse 12 says, And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys, and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. You read that and it's like, wow, so beautiful. Praise be to the Lord because what God is doing is he's directing their steps. He is guiding them. And then also in chapter 10, verse 34, it says, And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. Wow. Praise be to the Lord. How beautiful this is. But then we get to chapter 11, verse 1. Now, when the people complained, you see, wow, the people started to complain. After all the Lord has done, remember, not long ago, they were in Egyptian captivity, bondage, slavery. And after all the Lord has done, all of a sudden, they start to complain. And you know what? Let's be honest for a moment. I mean, let's be honest all the time. But it reminds me of me, the proverbial M-E, me. And if we're honest with ourselves, if you're honest with yourselves, uh, if you're honest with yourself, I wonder if it reminds you of you. Because how many times do we murmur and complain? You know, like I was a brand new believer. Murmur, complain, murmur, complain, murmur, complain. And as I mature in Christ, you know, in the course of 20 some years, 25, 23, 24 years, you know, there's maturity in Christ, praise be to the Lord, and my boast is in the Lord. But even still, from time to time, there's the murmuring and complaining, even still. It's not as much as it was 25 years ago, but it's still there. It's still there. And it just blows me away so much because we see so many things in the camp of Israel, but we see the personification of certain aspects in our own lives. Complaining, murmuring and complaining. Even after all the Lord has done for us, for me, for you. And even still, what happens? murmuring and complaining now you know it's it, we're trapped in these earth suits at this particular juncture we're in these earth suits it's just part of our battles that we have in the flesh part of the things that we have to deal with in the flesh i hate it i don't like this aspect of the flesh but then at the same time it helps me rejoice in comfort of the lord and I wonder if it's the same for you as well, to rejoice in the comfort of the Lord, understanding that, yes, we're in these earth suits, but then at the same time, how the Lord wants to grow us and stretch us and get us to the point where we realize that, yes, indeed, His way is better than ours. His way. Let's turn really quick to Philippians chapter 2. And here in Philippians chapter 2, 
the church in Philippi, beautiful, beautiful church. You don't see a lot of the issues in Philippi that you see in the church in Rome, the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus, certain things that Paul hits onto those churches. But for the church in Philippi, I like to see the church of Philippi as a model church, as an example church, because you don't see these, uh, uh, you know, uh, harsh warnings for the church that you do see in the other books, epistles, Paul's letters to the church. But there's still warnings. There's still warnings. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes this, Do all things without complaining, you see? Do all things without complaining, and he goes even further, without complaining and disputing. It's a New Testament example of murmuring and complaining. Paul says, don't do that. And you know, it's part of maturing in Christ, growing in Christ. You know, it's like, you know, sometimes you find yourself in a situation where you pray, you pray, you pray, you pray, you pray, and the Lord answers. And praise be to the Lord. And then when the Lord answers, you know what happens? You start to... Oh, you know, not regret, but you start to forget about the mercy and favor and grace of the Lord. I mean, you know, it's it's like, you know, it, it, like, like say, for example, you're like in the market for a new car. And it's like, wow, you know, I want this new car. I want the latest gadgets. I like this, the latest tech. I want this, that, bada bing, bada boom. And then all of a sudden you're praying like, Lord, you know, what do I do? What do I do? And then all of a sudden you get it. Could be used, could be brand new. Doesn't matter. You get it. And like, wow, praise be the Lord. You know, it's brand new. You love it. And then like five, five months later. You know, there's new technology. Another car company comes, rolls out with new technology. And you're starting to be like, oh, man, I don't like this. Or, you know, your friend gives you a ride. And you see his car. Oh, man, I don't, this car is better than mine. It's, it's part of our flesh. It's dealing with this, these earth suits of ours. It's part of the process in our maturity in Christ of learning to be content contentment in the Lord and where he has us, where he has brought us, where he has brought me, where he has brought you and what he is doing with me and what he is doing with you. Remember one body, many parts. You see, it's like, wow, Lord, I want this. I want this. I need help with this. Can you help me with this? Or Lord, I pray for this. I pray to be from, you know, point A to point B and Lord, I'll, you know, I'll do anything to get to point B. And then all of a sudden, the Lord says, okay, point B, here it is. Whatever it is, here you are. And then we're in point, point B, and it's like, oh, Lord, you know, I want to go back to point A. Or I don't like it here in point B. I want to go to point C. Well, wait a second, you know, it's like, how quickly is it that we begin to murmur and complain? And I specifically say we, because we're in the same boat. You deal with your flesh, I deal with my flesh. We're in the same boat and we have to learn. We have to learn contentment. We have to learn to in our growth in Christ. There's certain things that comes along with that. Such as Paul's exhortation to do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless. 
Translate says that you may become blameless and innocent. Notice, become blameless and harmless, which tells us something. It's a process. It's a process. It's part of the transformation that we have in Christ. We become a new believer. You reckon the old man dead. You reckon the old woman dead. You're a new creation in Christ. You're being renewed. Restoration of mind. Restoration of spirit. The Lord is, you know, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, the Holy Spirit, building brick by brick by brick by brick by brick in his temple because you've given it over to him. You've presented your body a living sacrifice. It's his. And so we start to learn, wow, I'm not going to complain anymore. I'm not going to dispute anymore. I mean, think about how easy it is to complain. A two-year-old does it. What happens when that two-year-old doesn't learn that complaining is a bad thing? It's not good. Then you get a a 10-year-old complainer. And then what happens when that 10-year-old still hasn't learned that complaining isn't a good thing? Then you get a 20-year-old that complains. And you continue down the line, a 30-year-old that complains, a 40-year-old that complains. Nothing but murmuring and complaining. And still a believer, still believes in Jesus Christ, but likes to murmur and complain. Never comes to a place of contentment. And Paul says, not just complaining, but also disputing. You know how easy it is to get into disputes? You know you have beef with another person? You have beef with another brother, you have beef with another sister, and then all of a sudden, you know, guys tend to, you know, it gets to a point where, you know, they're going to go to blows, you know, hey, let's separate these guys. You know how easy that is? Two-year-olds do it. You see two two two-year-olds, you know, you put them in a playpen together or, you know, whatever you do with kids, you know, you put them in the playpen or you put them in, you know, a room with toys. One grabs a toy, the other wants it, and then all of a sudden they start to fight. They're going to blows. They're little blows because they're kids, but they're blows nonetheless. And if those kids don't learn that, hey, that form of disputing, it's not a good thing. Then you're going to have five-year-old disputers, then 10-year-old disputers, 15-year-old disputers, 20-year-old disputers, 30-year-old disputers. Childish. Childish arrested development because they've never matriculated. It's like a first grader staying in first grade. Never learns to finger paint. Whatever first graders learn, you know? Finger painting, how to do the alphabet, how to count to, you know, whatever. First grader never learns that. So they can't go on to second grade, which means that they also can't go on to third grade. First grade, 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 the whole time. You know what that's a picture of? Milk drinkers. Don't forget, milk is beautiful. Milk is a wonderful diet, but it's for babies. It's for babies. And Paul is saying this to the church, beautiful, beautiful Christians. Hey, guys, do all things without murmuring and complaining that you may become Remember, it's a process. 
that you may become blameless and harmless or innocent. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine. Very interesting because today we're living in a world which is certainly crooked and perverse. And you know what breaks my heart? Some Christians, Christians, brothers and sisters, some of them don't shine among the perverse. Some among us do not shine among the perverse. You know why? Because of their own perversity. And I say that with all due respect to the Lord because it's His church. We belong to Him. I say it with all due respect to Him. But look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. There's a huge danger behind lukewarm living. You know, you have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You can't do that. You can... You know, it can be done, but it's not good. Because Jesus Christ says, I wish you were hot or cold because, you know, since you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out. I wish you were hot or cold. But since you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out. In the body of Christ, vomit out being expelled from the body of Christ. That's the danger of being lukewarm. This is, this is Philippi, a crooked and perverse generation. And Paul is saying, hey, Christians, brothers, sisters, you shine among them. You shine among them as lights in the world. Children of God without fault. You know, you're becoming blameless and harmless, becoming blameless and innocent. And you shine. But what happens when, you know, you look inside the church, you look at the world, you look at the church, and you see absolutely no difference. You look at the world, you go to work or say, you know, you, you're, uh, I don't know, a factory worker. And, you know, you're there in the, you know, the, the locker room, you know, say you have to, you know, put on scrubs or whatever. You have to put on like a work clothes, overall coveralls, whatever. And you have a little locker room. So you go into work in your, you know, your civilian attire. And then you go to the locker room, you change, put on your, you know, over coveralls, whatever. And you have like, you know, a bunch of guys in there. I'm a guy, so I only speak from the guy's perspective. But the same applies to girls too, or females, women. You know, you go into the, you're female, you go into the female's room and, you know, you do whatever the females talk about. But they're not Christians. It's, you know, a worldly environment. Work, it's work. You still shine, you know? The ladies talk about this. The guys talk about this. It's like, oh, you know, I did this last night. Oh, yeah, you know, I went to the club last night. Yeah, I did this night. Oh, yeah, I got drunk last night. I did all these things. And you shine because you're a Christian. Maybe you used to do that, you know, when you were carnal. But because you're a believer, you don't do that anymore. And you shine. But then what happens? Say, you know, you're done. You, you know, you go, you're done with work, whatever. And then it's, it's like Wednesday night and you go to church service. And you go to church service. And, you know, it's like, you know, the fellowship, you know, you get there a little early. You start fellowshipping. You hang out with the guys. You hang out with the ladies, you know, you whatever, you know, and you do talk. And what happens when it's the exact same jargon as the world? 
I guys say, guys say, oh, I got drunk last night. Oh yeah, I went to the club last night. The ladies say, oh yeah, I went drunk last night. It was ladies' night last night at the club. So yeah, I did this. Talking about all kinds of perversions. And it breaks my heart to say that. But we're living in a day and age where you look at the world and you look at the church and you see no difference. Where is the light? Our Lord himself even warns about salt when it loses its flavor. It's not a good thing. He tells us about it. He teaches us about it. When salt has lost its flavor, then it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. What do we see in our culture today? Being trampled underfoot by men. What has happened to the church? What has happened to the Christian? What has happened? These are all indicators which point to the signs of the times. And then it's going to get so bad where there's apostasy in the church. And you know what? Apostasy, it's already here. All these different signs of the times which are coming into play today in this day and age. But even still in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation that we live in today, do you know what I say? Let us shine. Let us shine. How does that happen? You have to allow yourself in submission to Jesus Christ, in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and His transformation that He's doing inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Become blameless and harmless. And to also do all things without complaining and disputing. You pray, Lord, I'm in point A. Get me to point B. I want to be in point B. And the Lord says, okay, get you to point B. And then all of a sudden comes the murmuring and complaining. Don't do that. And I tell you from experience, I have done that. It's not good. It's not a good feeling in Christ as Christians, as believers. It's not good. And I also say that in a position where it's like, you know what? We're in the same boat. Let us be a people that learns and adheres to these beautiful, wonderful teaching of not complaining and disputing. And let us shine as lights in the world, as Paul says. Very interesting because what is written here in verse 16 Holding fast, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I love this so much. So that I may rejoice. You read that and you're like, wait a second. You know, what about us? The, the, you know, when, the, the church in Philippi, doesn't he want them to rejoice? What about us today? Doesn't he want us to rejoice? Yes, there's that aspect of it. But he says, so that I may rejoice. It says a little bit about Paul's heart. Maybe it says a lot of bit about Paul's heart. A lot about the faith that he has. And that's what I love so much about fellowship. The body of Christ. Because sometimes the faith of one can buttress that of another. Sometimes your faith in Christ can buttress the faith of another. Sometimes your obedience to Christ 
can help and buttress another's obedience to Christ. You know, I'll give you an example. Say you have a dad. Say you have a dad who is raising you. Say you're a kid, you know, you have a dad who's raising you. Hey, son, you know, you know, he looks out the window and sees all the kids being kind of crazy, getting into brawls, getting into fights. The dad says, hey, son, come here. The little kid, you know, goes to the dad. Hey, son, you know what? You see these kids doing this? I don't want you to do that. Don't do that, my son, because it's not pleasing to the Lord. I don't want you to do that. You know what? Let's please the Lord. I'm going to be here in the house. I'm going to be praying for you. But I want you to know that I'm praying for you and I want you to please the Lord. And son, I'm so proud of you. Because I see you doing these, I see these kids, they're doing all these crazy things. And I see you and you're not partaking. And you know what, son? Keep it up. You know, you're a daughter. Oh, baby girl. Baby girl, come here. These other girls, they're, they're crazy town. They're doing all kinds of things. I look at the window and I see you're not partaking in that. And I, I'm so proud of you, baby girl. I'm so proud of you, baby girl. And I'm here and I'm praying for you, baby girl. Let's please the Lord. And so say you're the son. Say you're the daughter. And it's like, wow, you know what? I'm doing this for the Lord. Yes. But at the same time, it's like, wow, you know what? I want my dad to rejoice. I want my dad to rejoice. Or a coach. Say, for example, there's a coach, you know, training you, you know, in whatever, wrestling, you know, football, soccer, tennis, golf, whatever. Coach, you know, chess even, you know. <laughs> I had to throw that in there, you know. But you have a coach training you, equipping you. Hey, you know, kid or, you know, whatever your name is. I mean, you're in the position of the kid and the coach says, hey, I'm teaching you. I'm training you like this. And this is what we're going to We're going to win. We're going to win this next meet. We're going to win this next track meet. We're going to win this next, you know, match that we have. We're going to win. And this is how we do it. And I'm going to pour into you. And yes, you know, you want to please the Lord. You want to win too. But then there's that extra little like umph. That the coach provides. You want the coach to rejoice. That's what Paul is saying here. In verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I have not run in vain or that I have have not run in vain or labored in vain. You see how beautiful this is? Paul's heart. Hey guys, when the when the Lord comes, when in the day of the Lord. In the day of Christ, the resurrection, I want to see you guys. I want to see you guys, all these people in Philippi. And how greatly Paul's rejoicing will be. Because he's going to see Christians from Philippi. He's going to see Christians from Ephesus. He's going to see Christians from uh, Galatia. He's going to see Christians from Corinth. But he's also going to see Christians from You know, Sudan, Christians in America, Christians from Venezuela, Christians from uh, Germany, Great Britain, Christians from, you know, all over the world. Ones that he have has never met in the flesh. 
but he's going to see even more Christians. And how great his rejoicing is going to be. You know, as Christians, it's like, not that we, we want, we're, 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 we're living sacrificially for Paul. But there's that extra oomph. I want Paul to rejoice. You see? You see how beautiful this is? Look at the heart of Paul. Christians that at one time he killed, had them beaten, imprisoned. Paul is different. Paul himself has been transformed by renewing of his mind. And because he's been transformed by renewing of his mind, now he's able to equip the saints and say, Hey guys, do all things without complaining and disputing. Murmuring and complaining. As new covenant believers, no murmuring and complaining. That's what Paul is saying. So now, let's go back to numbers. We see complaining in the Old Testament. Numbers 11, after all the Lord has done for Israel. Verse 1, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it. You know, what was to be expected? After all the Lord has done, God had revealed himself. The cloud was with them. The armies of Egypt, dead. The might of Egypt, gone. Egypt has just been, you know, uh, 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 reduced to virtually nothing. The cloud was with them. Is the Lord deaf? It pains me to say that. But the question remains, is the Lord deaf? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And they complain. It reminds me of me. It reminds me of my own complaining, my own murmuring. After all the Lord has done for me. What about you, my friend? After all the Lord has done for you. Remember, I speak corporately a lot of times to the church, to whoever is listening. To you. And then there's times where it's like, okay, you know, this is a corporate message, but let's boil it down. Forget about everybody else. I know there's family. I know there's friends. I know there's all these listeners. I know that you have, you know, family, you know, husband, wife, kids. That's fine. Let's just scratch them off the list for a second. You know, I love them too, but let's just scratch them off. It's just you and me right now. I'll even whisper a little bit. So it's just you and me. After all the Lord has done for you. Forget everybody else. It's just you and me. After all that he has done for you. And yet you still complain. You still murmur. The same way I still complain. I still murmur. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let us learn. Let us move on to perfection. Let us continue to reckon the old man dead, to reckon the old woman dead. 
Is the Lord deaf? No way. Absolutely not. I have spoken at one point in time, you know, not too long ago, to a wicked elder, wicked, wicked elder in the church. And he started to give me counsel. And I was kind of like, you know, uh, not in the position that I am today. And he starts to tell me, you know, have you ever cussed out God? Have you ever just, you know, you take all your anger, you take all your rage, and you just give it all to him. You ever cuss him out? And I remember thinking like, what in the... That's when I started to realize, man, you know, these so-called pastors, so-called elders, they're crazy. They are straight up crazy. You have an elder telling me, hey, cuss out God. You know, it's good for venting. You get the vent. What? That's crazy. Cuss out the Lord. The one, not only the, the one whom I pray to. Who I, you know, my knees are calloused as I'm before his throne. But the one who my heart beats because of him. I have air in my lungs because of him. I have eyes to see because of him. You see? And this guy is telling me to cuss him out? Whoa. W-O-E. Whoa. To this elder. Disgusting. You know, that's when I started to realize, wait a second, you know? The, the, these people in positions of authority, they're straight up crazy. Straight up crazy. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Hirelings. Don't forget that elders can turn into wolves. Remember our study in Acts 20? Elders turning into wolves. Another sign of the last days. The Lord heard this complaining that happened among the people. After all the Lord has done, they start to complain. And the Lord heard it. He says here in verse 1, And his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Very interesting what we see here. The outskirts. Not the inner nucleus, so to speak. What's happening in the outskirts? Why do you have some people in the camp? Why do you have some people, you know, in the, in the movement? You know, if they were moving. Why are there some people? What's, what's up with the outskirts? Why are they not in the inner nucleus of the people? Where the Lord says, hey, you know, this is, you remember the, the early uh, 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 chapters in Numbers, how everything was laid out, the, the blueprints of how everything is to be laid out. What's up? How come all these people are on the outskirts? The very edge of the border. What's up with that? The outskirts. And herein lies the danger of walking with the Lord, except at a distance. Remember our study in Matthew? Turn with me really quick to Matthew 26. A little refresher course. Matthew 26, verse 58. Actually, verse 56. When our Lord was seized. 
He's about to be hung on a cross as a sheep to the slaughter. In verse 56, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. All the disciples forsook him and fled. Verse 58, but Peter followed him at a distance. You say, wow, look, Peter's following him. Praise be to the Lord. But then you see the danger of following the Lord at a distance. Why do I say that? Because we look at verse 69. This is Peter when he's following the Lord at a distance. In verse 69, now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. Very interesting. You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. Denial number one. I don't know what you're saying. Servant girl. Verse 71. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him. Very interesting. These perceptive, perceptive females. You know, sometimes guys are kind of in la-la land. But this was so beautiful about the ministry of women. Females, very observant. Just like you see here in verse 71. Another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. Before he just says, you know, I don't know what you're saying. Now he says, with an oath. I swear to you, you know, with an oath. I swear. I do not know the man. Denial number two. Very interesting. Because this man that Peter speaks of, he used to call this man Lord. But now he says this man. You see, Peter's changing. Why? Because verse 58, he's following Jesus. You say, wow, that's good that he's following Jesus. Except at a distance. Close the gap. If you're following Jesus and there's a gap with you and him, close that gap, my friend. I urge you, I beg you, close that gap. Let there be no light between you and Christ. That no light, you're just so pressed against him. And hold on to him. And you know what's so beautiful? He holds on to you. He says, abide in me, no period. Abide in me and I in you. Let us learn from this fall of Peter. When he followed Jesus at a distance, referring to Jesus as that man, when he used to call him Lord. This is a picture of the outskirts of the camp of the new covenant. The outskirts. Don't be on the outskirts. Let us be a people at the inner nucleus. The very center. Because the outskirts is dangerous. Just like we're seeing here with Peter. Verse 73. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you are the one, surely you are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began 
to curse and swear. Wow, Peter. The old nature. The former man. The one who he had reckoned dead all of a sudden revived again. The Pandora's box is open. He starts to cuss. Expletive, expletive, expletive. And he began to curse and swear saying, I do not know the man. Again, the man. Referring to Jesus Christ whom he used to call Lord. And then immediately the rooster crowed, a rooster crowed, it says in verse 74. You see? That's the outskirts. That's what happens when you walk outside of the nucleus, the very center of the camp. That's where the Lord wants you to be. The very center of the camp. For all of us, we're in the same boat. Don't be on the outskirts. Don't be on the periphery where the lukewarm are. Because the lukewarm, they might love Jesus Christ. But they also love the crack pipe. They also love the pornography. They also love the alcohol. They also love to be a tax cheat. They also love their little white lies. The old man hasn't been reckoned dead. The old woman hasn't been reckoned dead. That's the periphery. That's lukewarm. Don't be lukewarm. And let me tell you something. If you are lukewarm, if you're listening to this voice, you're like, wait, I'm a text cheat. Wait, wait, I, I do pornography. Wow, you know what? I do my alcohol. Hey, I like my crack pipe. If you're listening, you're like, whoa, what is this guy saying? I'm telling you to repent. Don't do your pornography. Don't do your drugs. Don't do your alcohol. Don't be your little white lie. Don't do your tax sheet. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, my friend. I don't say these things to hurt you. I say these things because I love you. And I want you to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithful. Servant. That's what I want you to hear. And I urge you, if you're lukewarm, repent. Come to the nucleus. Let's get to the center of the camp together. And let us abide in Christ together. And let us be not just hot for Christ. Let us be white hot for Christ together i don't say you know sometimes people say oh you know i don't like how you say it like this you know it's not that i desire like oh yeah i'm gonna like hurt you hurt you hurt you no i've had people tell me you know what you know i want to come to church and i want to feel good about myself well i tell you the truth the only way that you're gonna sit in a church and feel good a, 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 you know a, a church that teaches sound doctrine the only way you're gonna feel good is the more obedient you are in Christ. And I tell you from experience. I used to go to church and I thought somebody was lighting a fire under my seat. Not just holding a little candle. A little match, couple matches. No, like straight up like putting like logs under my chair. 
like big heaping logs under my chair and just stacking them, boom, 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 and then lighting everything on fire like I was in an inferno. Why? Because the word of God, the word of God, the Holy Spirit was convicting me hardcore. And I would sweat. My heart would be, man, if I had like a little, you know, heart monitor, it'd be like, you know, like off the charts. Why? Because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I came to church and I wanted to feel good. Except I felt like dirt. I felt like dirt. The only time I came to church and I started to feel good, it came with repentance. Repentance. Why? Because that's what the Lord desires. He wanted me to be right with him. And it was my sin that prevented that from happening. Now, I tell you these things from experience. I'm not telling you these things like, oh, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. Well, I am, I am saying that, but from experience. That's the path that I walked. You see? That's the danger of the periphery. Following Jesus Christ at a distance, being lukewarm. Lukewarm Christians, I don't deny their love of Jesus Christ. I know lukewarm believers. It breaks my heart, but I know lukewarm believers. Yes, they love Jesus. They love him. It's what they also love. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol. Fill in the blank, whatever. You see? But Paul writes to the church. You read Colossians. The preeminence of Jesus Christ. He must be number one in your life. In our lives, he must be number one. Let us be a people right smack dab in the middle, in the nucleus where the white hot are. It's a different camp. It's not a camp of the old covenant. It's a different camp. You see? And we're on our way to Zion. On our way to paradise. You see? Look at Peter. He's straight up. Who he called Lord, he now calls the man. And then he started to, cur to curse and swear. Expletive, 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 whatever it was. Remember, a fisherman. Fishermen are some you know, rough and tough guys. And then all of a sudden, that guy was aroused. The old nature, that old guy. You see? But you know what's so beautiful about Peter? His own repentance. And then when he writes, you know, he, he does his exhortations to Christians. We read, read about Peter in the book of Acts. We read, you know, in his letters. He also comes from a position of experience. Telling Christians, hey, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, live like this, live like this. Urging Christians, the church, you and me today, because it's captured in the Holy Scripture. Look at the heart of Peter. Yes, he was following Jesus at a distance, but you know what? He closed the gap. And that's the beauty of repentance. Close the gap. 
So if, you, if you're a lukewarm believer and you're like, man, I hate this guy, what he's saying. How dare he say that, you know, I love my crack when you love your crack. How dare this guy say that? Well, look at Peter. And the beauty of repentance. White hot for the Lord. Not at this juncture. In the aftermath of repentance. And his words, his heart was so aligned with the Lord. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he penned these letters. And it's captured in Holy Scripture. So too can your heart be closely aligned with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. One heart, one mind. The mind of Christ. Unity in Christ. One with Him. Intimacy with Him. Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 1 at the end, and so you see the fire of the Lord consumed some, except they were on the outskirts. Very interesting what is revealed here in verse 1 of Numbers 11. The danger of the peripheries. Yes, the Old Testament in accordance with the Old Covenant, but you're going to see the peripheries. You're going to see peripheries as we continue through Holy Scripture, chapter by chapter, book by book. Old Testament and New Testament, the peripheries, where the lukewarm are. We're going to see it. We're going to see it on Sunday as we open up the book of 1 Corinthians. A carnal church, the peripheries. It's dangerous. That's dangerous ground. Because of the propensity for a fall. Verse 2, then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. You see, intercession. The intercession of Moses as a type of Christ. A type of Christ, Moses interceding. Just as the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, intercedes for you and intercedes for me. To the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father. In verse 3, so he called the name of the place Tabera, which is translates as burning, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Wow. Now the mixed multitude who were among them, very, very interesting. This mixed multitude were Jews, maybe part Jew. Remember, there are provisions in the law to take in and embrace the sojourner. People who denied, you know, oh, say, say, you know, we go back in time and we're Canaanites. Or say we go back in time and we're like, we see a Canaanite in the wilderness, in the desert. Like, hey, Canaanite, you know, how are you doing? What are you doing over here? Your Can- Canaan's way over there. And the Canaanite says, I know, but you know what? I, I, I don't believe in the gods of Canaan. But I've heard what God, the, the, the God of Israel has done. I've heard about what he has done, and I have come to worship him. Wow, okay. Well, come over here. We saw the Israel over here. We go to the camp. And there's provisions in the law. Hey, take the, take the sojourner in. Welcome them in. An Old Testament example of Gentiles being grafted into the promises of God by faith. It's an Old Testament example of a new covenant truth. And then all of a sudden you see this mixed 
multitude. You know, let's turn to uh, uh, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, really quick. In verse... Well, in Exodus 12, what's happening is you have the actual exodus from Israel, from Egypt. Uh, people who were in bondage in Egypt, and then all of a sudden, you know, they depart. They leave Egypt. And like, wow, how, how beautiful this is. Praise be to the Lord. And yes, it is beautiful. Uh, yeah, there's no denying that. And verse 38 of Exodus 12, verse 38, a mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. Very interesting, this mixed multitude. Maybe there were some Egyptians there. Maybe there were some, you know, other slave class, other servants. Maybe there was a servant Canaanite. Maybe there was a servant Moabite. Maybe there was a servant whatever. People also in bondage. And they said, you know what? I want to be here in the camp of Israel. I want to be with Israel. I want to get out of here in Egypt. I want to, I want to leave Egypt. So I'm going to depart. I'm of this mixed multitude. And I also want to depart. Okay. So, you know, there's provisions in the law. The Lord says, yeah, take them in. This mixed multitude. Except something happens with this mixed multitude. Look at Numbers chapter 11 in verse 4. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. It says yielded translates as to lust and they gave in. Very interesting. A mixed multitude. So you hear me talk about this, the dangers of the periphery, the dangers of the outskirts of the camp, Old Testament and New Testament, the dangers of the outskirts, the dangers of being lukewarm. And say, for example, that was you where you were at one point lukewarm or say, for example, you are lukewarm, except you just repented. You hit pause and you repented. And you're on fire for the Lord. You're in the nucleus where the white hot are. Except all your friends are still on the periphery. Mixed multitude. People who say, oh yeah, I love the Lord. You're now white hot. You all, you had your homies, you know. Your homeboys, your homegirls. On the peripheries. Oh yeah, you want to be white hot for Jesus? Oh yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But do you remember last week when we did crack? The finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. The finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. Remember last week when we did that? Yeah, I remember. Well, look, we got another batch. Come on, let's go hang out. You see? Mixed multitude. The same exact thing happens for us as New Covenant believers. We have to be wise. We have to be wise. Understand that Satan is a fisherman too. You see? That's the danger of the periphery, the danger of lukewarm. I'm, I'm talking about in the camp. The world is the world. There's dangers of the world. But I'm talking about the dangers of the peripheries where the lukewarm are. 
They love the Lord, but they also love their crack. They love the Lord, but they also love their alcohol. They love their pornography. They love their sexual adventures. They love their to be a tax cheat. They love to do all these kinds of different things. They're little white lies. No big deal. God, God is a God of forgiveness. You know what? I'll go ahead and do this. Repent, and I'm good to go. That's the mindset of the lukewarm. You have to be wise. We have to be wise. Understand that the lukewarm are lukewarm and you're white hot. And yes, be a fisherman in the camp. Tell these people, hey, get out of the peripheries. Hey, don't follow Jesus at a distance. Hey, get back over here. Let's be a people of the nucleus. But then when they start to say, hey, I got the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Hey, we're going to go to the strip club tonight. Hey, we're going to go clubbing tonight. It's ladies night. You know, let's dress like this and let's go clubbing. You have to be wise. You have a decision to make. Remember, you're white hot for the Lord. No, thanks. I'm not going to go. You want to go to the strip club? No, come over here. Let's, Let's study the Bible. Let's listen to this sermon. Come to church with me. Let us grow in Christ. A brother, a sister might say, you know what? I'm kind of tired of the crack. You know what? I'm done with that. I'll hang out with you. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, the person says, I like being, I don't like being lukewarm because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't like being lukewarm. And then all of a sudden they repent and they're white hot. They're in the camp. They're in the nucleus. Praise be to the Lord. But then you might have another that says, no, thanks. You know what? I'm going to go do my crack. And you know what? It's going to break your heart. No, thanks. I'm going to go to the strip club. No, thanks. I'm going to go to ladies night. I'm going to go clubbing. No, thanks. I'm going to keep cheating on my taxes. Okay. You see, it's going to break your heart. But then at the same time, you know, you've made the effort. You've made the effort, but you're also being wise, wise wisdom. The church is lacking wisdom. And in the last days, we're forewarned that there will be no wisdom. All these crazy doctrines coming into the church, crazy, crazy stuff. I can't tell you how many times I hear, you know, somebody says, hey, you know what? Listen to this guy. So I listen. It's like, what? This guy's crazy. You know, holy laughter. What is this? Glitter coming down from the rafters. You want to call that the Holy Spirit? Blasphemy. Oh, but you you know, this part of the sermon was good. What? No, it wasn't. Blasphemy? Glitter is the Holy Spirit? Crazy. Crazy. You see? All these things we're forewarned about. Where is wisdom? And don't forget, too, there is coming a time when he who now restrains will be lifted up. Whoa. That's going to be some wild, wild stuff. That's why you hear me say all the time, store plenty of oil. We're living in days where the Christian, each individual Christian, yes, I love, you know, your family. Yes, I love the entirety of the body of Christ. Yes, I love them. But I'm speaking individually to you. 
You know, I love your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents. I love them. And I urge the same for them too. But let's forget about them for a, mo for a moment. I'm speaking to you. You must, you must store your oil. Because the lamp that you have, it's for you. You must store your oil. Because when he who now restrains is lifted up, a lot will be revealed. A lot will be revealed. The foolish virgin will be revealed. And so will the wise. Today, right here, right now, store your oil. Tomorrow, store your oil. The next day, next week, next month, store your oil. Because you're going to need it. We are going to need it. Not, you know, like, not your oil for another. Be very selfish with the oil because that's for your lamp. That's for you. I have to store my oil. You have to store your oil. Remember the foolish virgins? They said, oh, we're out of oil. Give me some of yours. Mm -mm, this is mine. This is mine. The foolish virgins, they had to go away. I'm going to go get more. I'm going to go get more. By the time they came back, too late. The bridegroom had come. Too late. Be very selfish with the oil. Generous with everything else. Hospitable with everything else. Generous with everything. The fruit of the Spirit for everybody. But then at the same time, be very selfish with the oil. In verse 4, look at this mixed multitude. The mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again. You see, this influence, this mixed multitude who were influencers. The peripheries. Remember the danger of the peripheries? The danger of being lukewarm? The danger of those who follow at a distance? Those who are not at the inner nucleus? They say, wow, you know what? I love the Lord too. But look, I have this crack. Look, I have this magazine, this dirty magazine. Or here, look at my phone. Look at this. Check this out. Hey, look, I, I got an extra $2,000 on my taxes. All I had to do was say this. You can do it too. Who is going to be the influence in your life? Who are you going to allow to influence you? We're living in a day and age where people like the likes. They go to social media and they like the likes. Kids these days, they get depressed when people don't like. They make a, 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 a picture on the, on the Instagram. They do the you know, Facebook is kind of for old people now. But they do like the Instagram stuff, you know, they do the, the, the one with the ghost, you know, the app with the ghost, you know, I don't know how that works, but you know, I don't get the likes on social media. I don't get this, you know, I'm not popular. People don't like me. They follow the influencers. Wow, this guy's cool. Wow, this girl's cool. She's awesome. I'm going to be influenced by, I'm going to subject myself to this person, this guy, this girl. No, subject yourself to Jesus Christ. You get no likes on social media, who cares? Pray for the youth. Because the youth are in some crazy, crazy battles. Wild, intense battles. Intense, intense battles. And you know what? We're losing the youth. Because no one's teaching them. No one's teaching them. No one's equipping them. 
and we're losing the youth. Little 10 year old boys, 10 year old girls, they get a cell phone for the first time, they get their social media, whatever, and all their friends are popular. It's like, wow, you know, they, they think, oh, I'm a loser, nobody likes me. I'm a loser, you know, and if, if, if I want people to like me, then I gotta act like this, I gotta behave like this, I gotta dress like this. You see? And all of a sudden they get sucked into the world. Pray for the youth, pray hard for the youth. It's the next generation of righteousness. And they are ill-equipped for the battles of tomorrow. Pray for the youth. But who are the influencers? This mixed multitude, they influenced, they, they, who were among them, they yielded to the intense cravings in verse 4. And you know what happens? They were the influencers. So look what happens. So the children of Israel also wept. They also wept again, saying, who will give us meats to eat? kills me it kills me they're not in egypt anymore god has revealed himself to them and he doesn't like their doubt who will give us meats to eat he doesn't like their doubt you say what do you mean he doesn't like their doubt well turn with me to psalm 78 psalm 78 <clears throat> And in Psalm 78, verse 19, says, yes, they spoke against God. Against God. Emphasis on against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? You see, they doubted. After all the Lord had done. The straight up, the cloud. Remember, we just studied that last week. The cloud is with them. The cloud is following. The cloud, the cloud is directing them, leading them, guiding their steps. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? They started to doubt. Verse 22, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Very interesting what is revealed here by the psalmist. They did not believe. Nor did they trust. Verse 32. In spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe. Very interesting what's happening in the heart of the people in the camp of Israel. Influenced by this mixed multitude. Influenced by those on the peripheries. Influenced by the lukewarm. In verse 34, when he slew them, then they sought him and they returned and sought earnestly for God. Then they remembered that God was their rock and the most high God, their redeemer. You see, remember the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Hearken to our study in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, the chastising. If you are without chastisement, you are illegitimate. The King James Version says, if you are without chastising, you are a bastard. So the King James, you know, whoa, how could he say that? It's the King James, the Bible, it's biblical. Biblical. If you are without chastisement, you are a bastard. Whoa. I don't want to be illegitimate. I don't want to be a bastard. I want to be a child of the Most High. So you know what? Chastising. 
I have to expect a chastising the same way you have to expect chastising. You know why? Because the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. It's love. What parent doesn't spank their kid? I'm not talking about beating them to a bloody pulp. I'm talking about, hey, you know what? Bang. Little, you know, love taps. Yeah, there's certain degrees, you know. My mom used to give me love taps, and it hurt. But then as I got, this, you know, I was a little kid, you know. My mom used to give me the, with the little wooden ladle. Bang, and it used to hurt. But then as I started to grow older, I was like, man, this doesn't hurt anymore. She was like afraid, you know, like she doesn't want to hurt me, you know. And then so one day, you know, I was like, like, like saying like, oh, no, don't do this. You know, kind of like, you know, flailing. I kind of overdid it, you know, because it was, she looked down at me. She's like, you're faking it, aren't you? And then I started to laugh. And you know what she did? She says, okay, laugh all you want. That's fine. Unbeknownst to me, she went and told my, told my dad. <laughs> my dad was no joke. No more wooden ladle with my dad. I upgraded to a black leather belt. How beautiful. I love that black leather belt. And I have it to this day. I have it. And it's a reminder of my dad's discipline that he gave me. Why? Because he loves me. How much more our Father in heaven. You see? The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. I don't want to be without chastisement because the Bible says I'm a bastard if that happens. I'm illegitimate and I don't want that for you either. But then you start to see a picture here with the chastisement of Israel in accordance with Psalm 78 verse 34. When he slew them, then they sought him and they returned and sought earnestly for the Lord. Then you start to understand why this chastisement It's because the little spankings that we get from the Lord. Yes, it might hurt. Yes, it does hurt. But then in verse 35, then they remembered that God was their rock. But the same thing applies to you and me. Then we remember that the Lord is our rock. You see? Then you see a picture. And not just now, but, you know, as we continue our studies through the Old Testament, you're going to see the ups and the downs of Israel. You look at Christians today in the church, you know what you see? The ups and the downs of Christians. The ups and the downs of Christians. Up and down. Cloud nine, valley pit. Up. You see it. You see it. And people will tell you. Oh, yeah, I rejoice today. Wow, it's so awesome. The next week, oh, I'm down in the dumps. I'm in the pits. The next week later, wow, you know what? Praise be the Lord. A week later, oh, I'm down in the pits. Ups and the downs, ups and the downs. Why? The same with Israel. The exact same with Israel. There is a huge danger in the peripheries. Huge, huge, huge danger. Don't set up camp there. I urge you, I beg you. Do not set up your camp in the peripheries. Set your camp in the nucleus. Close the gap between you and Christ. Let there be no distance. You see? Let's go back to numbers. 
the doubt that they had. Who will give us meat to eat? And remember, uh, Psalm 78, they spoke against the Lord. They spoke against the Lord. In verse 5, we remember the fish which we ate freely. See, they ate freely. They ate freely in Egypt. You know, let's, let's not, let's not, let, don't mind the shackles. Don't mind the shackles. We ate freely in Egypt. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. You know, I have to be honest with you, you know, it sounds, sounds like a good, sounds like good food. My mouth is kind of watering, you know, verse five, my mouth is kind of watering, you know, it kind of reveals a little bit of my flesh. My mouth is kind of, I mean, you know, I'm kind of particular when it comes to fish. You know, everybody says that's tilapia. I don't like tilapia. I'm a little foo-foo when it comes to fish. You know, I like, I like white fish. I tend to like the white fish, like you snapper, a little oily. You know, I like that, like the natural oils in there. It's not, you don't have to put olive oil or anything. You know, it's like it has its natural oils. Snapper, you know, freshly caught or, you know, like halibut, you know, Alaskan halibut, freshly caught. I, I, I'm a little foo-foo with my fish. Tilapia, I don't like it's a nasty fish. That's me. I'm just, you know, cod. I don't like cod. I'm kind of particular when it comes to fish. You know, I don't like the, the, the stuff like, you know, for taxes, you know, you have uh, American companies and, you know, they, they, they contract with China. And so they go fishing off the coast of the U.S., you know, the Pacific coast. And, uh, you know, they, they catch their fish in, 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 uh, in, in, off the coast of America, off the coast of the U.S. And so what happens because of taxes, it's, it's cheaper for these companies. It's cheaper for these businesses to partner with China. Because they make more profits when they partner with China. So they can make their catch, put them on ice. Ship everything to China, package everything in China, more ice. And then all of a sudden, the China, they, they come and they bring on their boats and they, they bring the fish back to the America, sell it to America. They pull profit. Good old tax laws. Tariffs, trade laws. Good old, it's cheaper to do it that way. But I don't like it. Because they might label it, oh, fresh fish. You go to the store, fresh fish, fresh fish. But it's not fresh. It's been on ice. It's been on ice. It's been a week old. It's been on ice. That's old fish. I, I tell you, I'm a little foo-foo when it comes to fish. I like the fresh stuff. Freshly caught. You go like to the, to the harbor, you know. You see the fish freshly caught that morning. That's the one I want. Boom, give me some of that. You go home, fry it up. See, my mouth is watering. And it's not just the fish. He says the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions. I was like, wow, nice little salad, cucumber salad. The garlic, oh, all these seasonings. Wow, you know, even as I speak, my mouth is watering. That's what's happening with the people, the camp of Israel. Free. They're free. The Lord has freed them, rescued them. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know what? I remember the fish. I remember the food we used to eat freely. Don't forget they're in bondage. They were in bondage. They start to crave for yesterday. They start to remember and crave for yesterday. When they were shackled in bondage. And that's what happens with murmuring and complaining. Oh, I used to have. You ever hear people talk about their glory days? Maybe they, they were they played on the high school football team. You know, they played on the high school football team. They weren't even good players. You know, they were still the losing team. 
It's like, oh, I remember my glory days when this. You were a loser back then. I mean, you know, team-wise, you know. You were a loser back then. Wouldn't let me show you show me your stats. You show me the stats. Psh, you're a loser. Team-wise, you know. You'd call that your glory days? No. The Christian, for you, for me, our glory days. Bind this on your heart, beloved. Our glory days, your glory days, they are not in the past. They are not in the past. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Don't look back. Don't look back to Egypt. Your glory days are ahead of you. It's in your future. You know, you hear people talk, oh yeah, in the glory days, I did this. In the glory days, yeah, you know what? I scored a touchdown. That's nice. Let me see your stats. You were a loser. You know, you're losing team. You didn't go on to state. You didn't go on to nationals. You know, you didn't do it. Did you do that? No. Loser. The glory days are not behind you. The glory days are ahead of you. Never, ever, ever forget that. Do not be deceived. Because a lot of people, they like to look back. Oh, I remember I had the fish. I had the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, and I ate freely. Whatever form that is. You know, we're talking about food here. But whatever that is, people start to miss. They start to miss. Oh, I miss my friends, my homies, my homegirls. We used to have fun Friday nights. We used to have all these funs. And now Friday night, I'm just, you know, at home. I don't get to party anymore. I don't drink the alcohol anymore. I don't do the crack anymore. I don't go to the strip club anymore. I'm losing money because, you know, I try to honor the Lord and I'm in the poor house because I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't let my employer pay me under the table. And so I'm in the poor house, all these things. And it's like, wow, you know what? That's deception. Your glory days are not behind you. You continue to honor the Lord. You have the purpose in your heart. Honor the Lord in everything you do. Honor Him. It requires discipline. You know, disciple. That's where we get the word discipline and vice versa. To be a disciple requires discipline. And so, apply discipline in your life. And I tell you this from experience. I'm not saying, hey, do this, do this, do this. Like, you know, you're a robot. You do this, do this, do this. No, we're in the same boat. We must be a people that applies discipline to our lives and disciplining ourselves. Subjecting ourselves to sound doctrine, the word of God. Submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Yielding to Him. Not yielding to the mixed multitude as what happens here in verse 4. The mixed multitude were among them, yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept. They were influenced by this mixed multitude who yielded. And so in so doing, they also yielded to the intense craving. So you you don't get to go to the strip clubs anymore. Praise be to the Lord. That's the way of death. Oh, but I had so much fun with my homies. I had so much fun doing all that. That's nice. That's still the way of death. Don't forget you were shackled. That's Egypt. That's Egypt. You want to go back to that? 
Oh, but the fish was so good. The cucumbers, the melons, the leaves, the onions, and the garlic. It was so good. Have you forgotten the shackles? Look, you have the scars on your wrist. Look, you have the scars on your ankles. Have you forgotten the chains? Oh, but my glory days and that. No, your glory days are ahead of you. You see, you must apply discipline. People say, oh, that's works based. Discipline is works based. Discipline and works is two different concepts. Discipline. You see, look at look at a soldier. I don't like saying soldier. Look at a warrior. I'm not talking about, you know, a little cheesy soldier. I'm talking about a straight up warrior. They could stand post, standing guard, fully aware of his or her surroundings, fully aware, fully armed, fully equipped, ready to handle business, ready to rock and roll, ready to lock and load. What is their work? All they're doing is standing there. Is it? No works. No works whatsoever. All they're doing is standing there, except they're at the ready. They're ready to work. They're ready to handle business. And they're highly disciplined. Highly, highly disciplined. Highly, highly trained. You see? People say, you know, they hear me say, oh yeah, discipline, you know, applied discipline. Oh, that sounds like works. What? There's no works. Where's the works? No. Highly disciplined. Disciples. You see? So let's look at verse 6. So they start to remember, you know, oh, we had it so good. We had the fish. We got ate freely in Egypt. The fish, the fish. But now, in verse 6, but now, notice they're out of Egypt, rescued. Exodus out of Egypt. Remember, while they were in bondage, while they were in Egypt. They received and some, they received and more exactly what they hoped and prayed for while they were in bondage. They hoped to be free. They longed to be free and the Lord heard their prayers. And now they have exactly what they wanted. They're no longer in bondage. And so look what happens. They start to desire the things of when they were in bondage, the fish, the cucumbers, the leeks, the garlic. I have to admit, you know, Carnally speaking, it sounds kind of good. Flavor-wise, you know, I read that as I get hungry. My mouth starts to water because I read that. And it's like, wow, you know what? I'm making some halibut tonight, you know? The good stuff. But now he says, or they say, the people say, our whole being is dried up, you know? I have to reveal a little something about my own insensitivities. I do have insensitivities. I'm fully aware of it. You know, I hear complaining like you're like kids, even adults, you know. I don't mind kids when they complain because they're kids. I have a lot of grace on kids and old people because, you know, it's like they're old. You know, they've, they've lived life, you know, their bones ache, everything aches. You know, I have a little bit more mercy and compassion on old people and young people. It's the middle age, like that big gap age, uh, I'd say 
20 to 70, you know. I'm still gracious and merciful and, you know, uh, sensitive to the, but less than I am with old people and the young people. I don't like drama. That's just me personally. I don't like drama. I don't like whining. That's me personally. And I'm revealing my own insensitivities to you. I don't like it. And I think the Lord has a sense of humor because, okay, you don't like drama? Here, you're going to be a pastor. <laughs> it's a lot of drama. <laughs> a lot of drama. But I don't like. That's my own insensitivities. Because I have a weird perspective. You know, somebody starts to whine. Somebody starts to murmur and complain. My perspective is, you know, have your legs been blown off? You know, do you still have your arms? You know, is your hand gone? Has your hand been blown off? You know, do you have a, a big gaping hole in your thigh where you can see your bones? No? Okay, you're good to go. You know? Suck it up and deal with it. That's my mentality. I know it's not good. It's good in some areas. In some arenas, it's fine. But in a lot of arenas, it's not. But that's my perspective. Oh, you know what? Oh, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Well, you know, did you eat two days ago? Yeah, you're good to go. You're fine. Suck it up and deal with it. That's my mentality. I don't like it. Amen. I like it in certain areas. But those are my own insensitivities. And I'm more gracious and merciful to young people. You know, like a, a little five-year-old says, oh, I'm hungry. Okay, you need your nutrients. Then you have like an adult 30-year-old, you know, especially with men, you know, like I say that 20 to 70 gap, you know, but especially with the men, you know, the, the boys in that camp, you know, I like the men, you know. Your arm's blown off? No, I still got my arms. Okay, you're good to go. Let's handle business. Let's keep going. Oh, I'm complaining. I'm murmuring, complaining. You got your legs? Yeah. Okay, we're good to go. Can you see your bones? You have a, a big gaping hole in your chest where you can see your rib cage, your bones, the white of your bones? No? Okay. You're fine. You'll live. And so I read in with that mentality, and I don't like it. I like it in certain areas. Not, not, you know, I'm just revealing a little bit of my carnality to you. I read verse 6. Our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't like verse 6. That's just me. I don't like it. It's... It's drama. And as much as I don't like drama in the life of a Christian, you can't deny it. There is drama. Drama comes at you. And when drama comes at you, don't be dramatic, you know? The poor Mimi's, oh, you know, our whole being, my soul is being dried up, you know? My perspective, you know, you got your legs? Yeah. Fine, you're good to go. That's my perspective. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that's the best way, but that's just me. And that's how I operate. And I don't like it. I mean, in some regard, I like it. But in other areas, I don't like it. Because of the insensitivities. You know, it's like, and sometimes, you know, I, I, you know, I have to be careful within my marriage because my, my bride, you know, 
She doesn't have these insensitivities that I do. You know, tell my wife, you know, you got your legs, you know, you're good to go, you're fine. No, it's like, well, I have to deny myself. But in accordance with our faith, in accordance with the warrior class, highly disciplined and equipped warrior class, we have to be very careful with murmuring and complaining, putting aside those things, because that is the way of babies. That is the way of the lukewarm. And I don't want that for any of us. From a spiritual side, there is an aspect of, you know, hey, we're going to, you know, like, you know, we're going to give it to the Lord. It's kind of like, you know, it's not like a, a suck it up and deal with it kind of mindset. But it's just to understand the nature of drama, but then understand the power and ability of our Lord and say, here, Lord, take it. I give this to you, Lord. But verse 6 for me, it just, it resonates with me, but in a, in a bad way. I don't like it. Because I see a lot of drama here in verse 6. And you know what? As pastor, you see a lot of drama in the church. And I don't like my flesh. My car, I'm revealing my flesh to you. My carnality. I don't like it. I don't like the drama straight up. I don't like it. But I know it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with in a godly manner. It needs to be dealt with with gentleness and love. I fully understand that. And it's in those moments where we can seek out the Lord. I can seek out the Lord. Lord, I need help. Lord, we have a situation here. You see, one body with many parts. After all the Lord has done, what happens when we forget the hand of the Lord? We start to murmur and complain. And just like we read in Psalm 78, you see the ups and the downs of Israel. Then you look inside the church and what do you see? The ups and the downs of Christians. The ups and the downs of married people. The ups and the downs of parents with their kids. The ups and the downs of whatever. But you see the ups and the downs. Our old pastor, my old pastor in California, he always used to say, you know what? If everybody obeyed the word of the Lord, everybody in this fellowship, if everybody obeyed the word of the Lord, he said, I would counsel nobody. Assistant pastors, elders, we would counsel absolutely zero we would have a full schedule available to serve the Lord in preaching the good news and teaching and evangelizing. We would have, you know, a clear plate, a clear schedule to do all these things. That's kind of wishful thinking because of the drama in a fellowship. But as we get further and further into the events of the last days and the temperature turns up a little bit and the bride gets refined, in this refining, we're going to be shed of these carnalities. Shed of these carnal aspects of our lives to where obedience in Christ and obedience to Christ is going to be more palpable. To a remnant, 
Not to everybody. To a remnant. It is prophesied. It is prophesied. And these events of the last days, they will come to pass. And we can learn, remember, these things written of old are written for our admonition as a warning. You see? And don't forget, you know, they're complaining. They says, you know, there is nothing. In verse 6, there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. But the manna was symbolic of Jesus. The bread of life. Food for angels. Manna. You say, what are you talking about? Food for angels? Well, Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verse 23. Yet he had commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna on them to eat and gave them of the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. You see? He sent them food to the full. Angels' food. Manna. You see? And the people complained. But what happens with us? Us, we're in the same boat. What happens with us? We pray, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And the Lord helps. The Lord is a very present help in time of need. And He helps, He's there. And then after in the aftermath of the aid that He provides, all of a sudden we start to do what? Murmur and complain. Oh, Lord, help me. I need this. Okay, here. You got it. Oh, Lord, I don't like this anymore. I don't like this anymore, Lord. So now I want out. Now I want this. Oh, Lord, can you give me back? Can I have the fish again, Lord? Can I have the cucumbers, the leeks, the garlic? Oh, wait a second. Have you forgotten your shackles? Have you forgotten the chains? You see, the ebb and flow, the ups and downs of Israel, it happens with us. In verse 7, now the manna was like coriander seed and its color like the color of bedelium, which is, it's a pearl-like color. And you know what? Imagine that across a desert landscape, like snow. A desert landscape, you know, the heat of the, you know, the, the, the regular day, just the, the color, the color skews, color schemes of a, a desert landscape, blanketed in white, blanket them in this pearl-like color, manna, angel's food. In verse 8, the people went about and gathered it, ground it on the millstones or beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. Yeah, It's making my mouth water again. You know, I, I like fish. You know, I'm a little foo-foo with my fish. I told you, but you know, uh, snapper, freshly caught snapper, delicious. Well, it depends on how it's cooked. And you can have a delicious, a good fish, a high quality fish, but if it's cooked by, you know... Uh, not so good a cook. It's, it's ruined. But when it's cooked well, by, you know, a good cook, it's pretty tasty. But I have a sweet tooth too. So now I hear, I read this in verse 8. It's taste well, like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. My mouth is watering. Sounds pretty tasty. My sweet tooth pastries. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. You see the Lord's provision. God has provided where God guides. God provides. He's not going to forget about Israel. 
And he doesn't forget about Israel the same way he doesn't forget about you. You pray, Lord, 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 you know, help me. I need to, you know, I'm in point A. Help me get to point B. And the Lord gets you from point A to point B. He, okay, here. And then all of a sudden, he's not going to forget about you. He doesn't say, okay, you're in point A. Here, you're in point B. Boom, I'm out. I'm going to forget about you. No. He is with He will never leave you or forsake you. He is with you. Understand that. The manna is there with them. Angel's food. The bread. Symbolic of Jesus Christ. In verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families. Everyone at the door of his tent. Everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was aroused. The anger of the Lord was aroused. Moses also was displeased. Now you see God and Moses, they have the same feeling. Strong, strong, strong intimacy that Moses has with the Lord and that the Lord has with Moses because they're both on the same page. The anger of the Lord was greatly aroused and Moses was also displeased and the people were weeping. Why were they weeping? Well, look at verse 13, like in the middle of verse 13. It says, for they weep all over me saying, give us meat. That we may eat. You see? They prayed in the wilderness. You know, they were murmuring and complaining in the wilderness. The Lord gave them manna. They have their fill of manna. They start to murmur and complain again. We don't have meat. You see? Murmuring and complaining. But we do the same thing. Lord, I need help. Get me from point A to point B. We get to point B. Oh, Lord, you know what? I want to go back to point A. What? Oh, Lord, I'm in point B. I want to go to point C now. What? You see? The same exact thing with us. In the church, in the camp, murmuring and complaining. A little bit of drama. A little bit of whining. You see? Now, I have to tell you something from a pastor's perspective. Really quick, no, no, um, nothing self-seeking here, but to understand a little bit of a pastor's perspective. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. And this is the good pastors, okay? Not the hirelings, you know, not the hirelings, not the wolves, not the teachers of false doctrines, not the perverted ones, not the druggy ones, not the alcoholics. I'm talking about the good pastors. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The writer here of Hebrews says, obey those who rule over you, who, who, who lead you is how it translates. Obey those who lead you and be submissive. Translates says to submit yourself. Submission to those who rule over you. He says, for they watch out for your souls. I love this. It says, watch out. Translate says to stay awake and be sleepless. Sleepless. That's what the good pastors do. They don't sleep because they're wide awake. Why? Because there's wolves to kill. Metaphysically speaking, metaphorically speaking, metaphysically speaking, supernaturally speaking, there's wolves to kill. They watch out for your souls. 
as those who must, must, not might, not maybe, those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief. Is it possible for a pastor to be grieved? Yes, absolutely. Is it possible for a pastor to be full of joy? Yes, absolutely. What is the barometer of that? What is the measurement of that? Your obedience. The obedience of the flock. Not the obedience unto the pastor. That's a worldly pastor if that's the case. The obedience of the flock unto the Lord Jesus Christ. A pastor will have great joy. But then, you know, uh, the danger of the periphery, you know, instead of being at the nucleus and white hot, you know, you're lukewarm, of which I say you must repent. You're lukewarm, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, yes, you love the Lord, but you also love your crack. Yes, you love the Lord, but you also love your sex. Yes, you love the Lord, but you also love your alcohol. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. You're going to grieve your pastor. You're going to grieve your pastor. And it says here in verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. It's advantageous for you. Now, if you have a worldly pastor, you know, that guy's a crazy town. That guy's in crazy town. Don't have a worldly pastor. Don't submit yourself to a worldly pastor. Never, ever, ever submit yourself to a wolf. Never, ever, ever submit yourself to a hireling or a teacher of false doctrine or the perverted pastor or the druggy pastor or the alcoholic pastor. Submit yourself to a godly pastor because he watches out for your souls. If the Lord didn't call me a pastor, there's like three men that I would physically relocate, move, take my location and move to a vicinity, a neighborhood in that area, the vicinity of their fellowship so that I can submit myself to the leadership of this godly man. There's like three guys like that. Scattered, you know, throughout the world. Three guys. I know there's more, but the ones I know of, there's like three. If the Lord never called me to be a pastor, if he didn't call me to be a pastor, that's what I would do. Relocate. Because I would love to submit myself under their, pastor, under their pastoral leadership. Because they watch out for my soul. And I know that they know, fully aware that they must give an account. They fear the Lord. They love the Lord. They fear the Lord. They're not teaching false doctrine. They're not putting glitter in the rafters and calling it the Holy Spirit. They're not doing the holy laughter bit. They don't teach, you know, false doctrine. You know, they don't teach grave soaking. Hey, guys, we're going to go grave soaking. They don't tell jokes at the pulpit. Godly, godly men who love the Lord and fear the Lord. I only know of three. I mean, I know there's more, but the ones that I would gladly relocate. I mean, it's for hard, hardcore to move and relocate my home into a neighborhood near their fellowship so that I could submit myself under them. But the Lord had other plans. You see? Submit yourself to a godly man. Pastor, pastor-wise. Because he watches out for your soul. 
He understands that he must give an account to the Lord. He also understands that, you know, like as Brother James says, let not many of you be teach- teachers because they are held to a higher account, a higher standard. Fully aware of that. You must know sound doctrine. You must be a Berean. Because we're living in a day and age where you can see a cross on the outside of a building. You can see Christian on the outside of a body. They might even say Bible on the outside of a building. You go inside, sit in the pulpit, and it or sit in the pews, and it's poison that is being poured out from the pulpit. Poison, doctrinally speaking, poison. The only way you will know is if you're a Berean. You have to know the Word of God. You must know the Word of God. I hate to say that, but we're in the last days. We were warned of these times. We were told of these times. We must be wise. You want to submit yourself to a hireling? You want to submit yourself to a perverted pastor, a druggy pastor, the alcoholic pastor, the teacher of false doctrine, the wolf? Then woe is you. W-O-E, woe is you. And I don't say that like, you know, how dare you, how dare you, I say, woe is you, like, woe is you. Don't do that. Don't do that. Find yourself a godly man as pastor. For you, your soul, and then for your family. For your friends. Because we're living in very, very, very dark days. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And treach- It's not called perilous for, no- for, for nothing. It's called perilous for a reason. Perilous times. It's perilous for a reason. Treacherous. Dangerous times. One of the scariest things I've ever done. Scariest, scariest things I've ever done. Aside from being called into pastoral ministry. But one of the scariest things I've ever done. Is patrol on a minefield. Intelligence, military intelligence said, you know, this is a minefield. And to patrol, to move from one position to another position near, in, in, in this vicinity, in this area where intelligence says, hey, potential minefield. That was scary. That was scary. Because one wrong step. And, you know, forget yourself. You know, it's not, you, know, you get blown away, you know, who cares? I have a weird concept when it comes to death. I look forward to it, you know, to be honest, you know, I look forward to my death. But those around you, guys you love, men you would die for, one wrong step and they die. One wrong step and they don't get to go home to their wife. They don't get to go home to their families, their mom and dad. They don't get to go home to, you know, hug their, you know, baby girl, their little boy. They don't get to go home to that. No more apple pie for them because of one wrong step. That was scary. But the same thing, similar concept, very, very similar concept applies in pastoral leadership. That's why Brother James says, let not many of you be teachers. You must know scriptures. You must be a Brian. Because you don't want to subject yourself to a wolf a hairling, submit yourself to the pervert, the false doctrine, the, the crackhead, the meth head, the alcoholic. You don't want to submit yourself to that. And the only way you will know 
is with sound doctrine. A pastor goes off into crazy town. The only way you will know is in sound doctrine. And I will say there's nothing self-seeking about reading Hebrews 13, verse 17. Okay, wait, this pastor, this guy says he's a pastor, and he's saying, okay, submit to those who rule over you. Okay, he has a, he has ulterior motives. My motive is for you, my friend. When you take your last breath, my motive is for you to hear the very words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's my motive. That's my desire. That's why I say these things. Self-seeking. When when have I ever asked for money? I never ask for money. There's going to be passages in Scripture where it talks about, you know, money. And we'll touch on those when the Lord gets us there. The majority of people, I have no idea. I only know a small minority of people. A small fraction of people. Those are the only ones I know of. I don't even know... We could cross each other's paths in the grocery store. I have no idea who you are. What's my motivation? No. My my motivation is for you to hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. So now, let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 11. You have it in verse 10, Moses and the Lord, you know, the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses was also displeased. The people were weeping and they were weeping that they wanted meat to eat. They had the manna, now they want the meat. In verse 11, now we have here in verse 11. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden or the responsibility of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom? As a guardian carries a nursing child. Very interesting. As a guardian translates as a nursing father. I mean, picture like, you know, you get like into a, you know, like a, a like a, a nursing room. You have a bunch of ladies, you know, a bunch of females, you know, taking care of their babies. But then you look in the corner and there's just like a lonely guy there rocking back and forth, you know. A son in his right hand and, you know, baby girl in his left hand. And he's rocking back and forth. A nursing father. With the bottles, you know. Also translates as a foster parent. You see. And Moses is grieved. Moses is grieved. Why, Lord? Just like we read in Hebrews 13. Verse 17, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And here we see a picture in the Old Testament. It's unprofitable for Israel because they're murmuring and complaining. It's a grief for Moses. And Moses is crying out to the Lord. Why have you afflicted your servant, Lord? You see? He says in verse 12, Did I beget them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. Very interesting what we see here too. Moses in his plea to the Lord, Where am I to get meat? You see a little bit of doubt in Moses. Where, Lord? 
But you know what's so beautiful? Is that it's his plea to the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord. Where am I to get meat to give these people? For they weep all over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone, because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. Whoa. Moses saying, Lord, please kill me. If I have found favor in your sight, he's saying, Lord, kill me if I have found favor. Look at the grief of Moses. He's not leading the people with joy. Why? Because of their murmuring and complaining, because of their disobedience. You see a little picture of the heart of a pastor. The heart of an elder. The heart of overseers, the godly ones, the good ones. Who are grieved for the flock. You hear me talk about sex, drugs, alcohol. I say the big ticket items. Because they're very common in the church. Very popular in the church. You see? And he's saying to the Lord, kill me, Lord. Take my life. If I have found favor in your, it's like, well, you know, people say, you know, Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, you know, you know, give me a new house. Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, you know, give me a new car. Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, give me a new job. Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. And Moses is saying, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, kill me. Take my life. And do not let me see my wretchedness, he says to the Lord in his intimacy with him. Do not let me see my wretchedness. Don't forget. Don't forget that in his prior indignation, Moses killed an Egyptian. Killed. And, the, and Moses is saying, don't let me see my wretchedness. You see? Moses to the Lord. I don't want to lose it, Lord. I don't want to be carnal with these people. Sometimes your greatest foe is yourself. Sometimes your greatest foe. People say, oh, yeah, the enemy is doing this. Oh, yeah, this guy, you know, he's satanic. He's my enemy. Sometimes this, this, it's everybody. It's projecting. It's this guy's the source. This guy's the enemy. This guy's demonically influenced. You know, this guy, he's not a Christian. This, the enemy's coming against me. But sometimes your number one enemy is the very one you look at in the mirror. You brush your teeth in the morning. You look up in the mirror. You know, you spit in the sink. You look up in the mirror. Boom. That's your biggest enemy. Yourself. And Moses is saying, Lord, don't let me see my wretchedness. Don't let me see my wretchedness, Lord. If, you, if I have found favor in your eyes, Lord, in your sight, kill me now. Please kill me here and now. You see? Why? Because of the murmuring and complaining of the people that he was called to lead. They're complaining. They have manna. They're eating manna. 
And, and all of a sudden, in verse 10, Moses heard the people. You think Moses is going to be happy. Wow, you know, you have your manna. Wow, the Lord has provided. Wow, you know, let us rejoice. The Lord has given us manna. And then all of a sudden, Moses walking through the camp. What does he hear? He starts to hear the weeping throughout their families. Everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. Why? They weep all over me, he says in verse 13, saying, give us meat that we may eat. Wow. Murmuring and complaining. And you know what? We see real-time blueprints that the Lord is providing. Because in verse 16, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders, the old people of Israel. Old people. This is how it translates, the old people. Whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers. So they're recognized as leadership overseers. Whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand here with you you see so now moses isn't alone we have the priesthood yes the priesthood the kohanim the uh, levitical priesthood yes we have the priesthood and moses isn't alone but then we get a little picture that's the priesthood but then we get a little picture of elders in the camps certain individuals Where you see a picture of Moses isn't alone. The Lord is raising up the elders. In verse 17, then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and put and will put the same upon them. You see? Moses. He's not alone. He's not alone. The Lord is providing real-time blueprints. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. You see? You know what's so beautiful? You see God responding. You see the intimacy. You see the honesty that Moses has with the Lord. Lord, how are we going to do this? Verse 13, where am I to get meat? How, where do I get it? Not only that, Lord, if I have found favor, kill me. Right here, right now. Yes, I'm on my face here before you, Lord. Just kill me. Take my life here. Let the people find me here. Face down on the sand. Face down on the ground. Let them find me here tomorrow morning. You know, I'll be dead. If I have found favor. And the Lord heard. You see that beautiful intimacy between God and Moses. And God gives real-time blueprints. Okay, Moses, this is what I want you to do. Gather these elders. People who are old, yes, but then recognized to be elders of and officers, overseers. And yes, you're going to bear the burden of the people and you're not going to be alone. You will have these people that you may not bear it yourself alone in the end of verse 17. It's very interesting because... What, Moses prayed to the Lord. Moses prayed. And the Lord didn't snap his fingers and then all of a sudden change the people. Okay, you know, these people are murmuring and complaining and boom, they're no longer murmuring and complaining. No, the people are still murmuring and complaining except Moses isn't alone. He spread the burden on a choice few. The elders. 
You see? Godly men. Men who love the Lord, who fear the Lord. You see? It's not just... People always talk about, oh yeah, the elder, the council of elders. Yes, I'm all for the council of elders. It's beautiful. It's godly. It's biblical. The council of elders. But where are the godly men? You want a council of perverts? A council of crackheads? A council of meth heads? Oh yeah, this is a pastor. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm also a crackhead. That's not a pastor. He's compromised. Oh, I'm an elder. You must submit to me. No, you're also a sex head. Oh, I'm an elder. I'm the co-pastor. I'm the, No, you're an alcoholic. You're compromised. Council of elders? Biblical, yes. But where are the elders? Where are the godly men? Where are the pastors? Not the hirelings. Not the scaredy cats. The council of elders. Oh, look, let's put glitter on the rafters and call it the Holy Spirit. Oh, the elder says to do it. The co-pastor says to do it. Okay, let's do it in submission to him. Let's do it. No, that's submission to crazy town. You see? That's why I say you have to be a Berean. You're going to submit yourself to that? Pastor says, oh, let's go grave soaking. Let's go grave soaking. You're going to submit yourself to that? No way. Necromancy, an abomination before the Lord. Do not submit yourself to that. That's craziness. Another sign of the last days. You see? People say all the time, oh yeah, council of elders is good. Okay. Why is, why is this youth group leader having sexual relations with the flock of God? Why is this pastor having sexual relations with the flock of God? Why is this so-called pastor doing crack with the flock of God? Doing meth with the flock of God? Doing marijuana with the flock of God? Getting drunk with the flock of God? All kinds of sexual perversions with the flock of God? A council of that? The, why is this pastor who's you know teaching, you put glitter on the rafters and put it down and call it the Holy Spirit? Let's go grave soaking. You want to submit to that? Stupid. Oh, but a council of elders. It's a council of fools. No. I pray that the Lord in these last days, that he raise up godly men. That pastors step down. The foolish ones. The hirelings. The crackheads. The sexheads. The tax cheats. Are there tax cheats in the clergy? Oh my goodness. Whew. You wouldn't believe it. Maybe you would, but you wouldn't believe it. There are tax cheats in the pulpits. But where are the God-fearing men? Love the Lord and they fear the Lord. Where are they? And I pray the Lord raise them up. For such a time as this, because the church, the condition of the last day's church, it's not healthy. Remember, the last day's church is either false, apostate, or true. That's 30%. When you look at it like that, 
33 and a third. You see? Where are the godly men to lead those fellowships? Seek them out. Of course, seek the Lord. Where are the teachers? Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do not be deceived. And the Lord, he doesn't snap his fingers and say, boom, the people are changed, Moses. You got your wish. You know, people treat the Lord like a genie sometimes. I hate that. The Lord isn't a genie. You don't, you know, rub your Bible and then all of a sudden you get three wishes. No. Where is obedience? The love unto the Lord, the fear unto the Lord. And the Lord doesn't snap his fingers and say, okay, the people are changed. No, the people are exactly the same, except Moses is not bearing the brunt of the Lord by himself. Now he has elders. In verse 18, remember the Lord is giving him the blueprints. <clears throat> then you saw, <clears throat> then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it is well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. So it's like, wow, you know, this is the Lord is going to do this. Wow, the people are going to be happy. We get to eat meat. We get to eat meat finally. Just like when we were in Egypt, we get to eat meat. We're sick of this manna. Wow, rejoice, praise the Lord. We get what we want. And then the Lord continues. You shall eat, not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, becomes disgusting to you, he says. You know, be careful what you ask for. I don't say this like freak you out, like, you know, it's not like a warning. I mean, it's kind of a warning, but soft warning. Be careful what you ask for. God isn't a genie. You don't rub your Bible and say, oh, Lord, I wish for this. People do it. But I'm speaking to you. Don't rub your Bible and treat the Lord like a genie. No, he is Lord and he loves you. He loves you. He desires intimacy with you. And as you read and study the Bible and hear messages and hear sermons, understand that the Lord desires this intimacy with you because he loves you and he wants to sup with you and he wants intimacy with you and he wants you to be in paradise. He wants you to eat of the, the tree of life, which is freely given in paradise. These are things we have to be a very forward looking people. Because that's our destination, paradise, Zion. That's our destination. That's where we're going. That's the direction by which we go, by which we walk. It's called the way. It's called the narrow path. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That's our walk. The people are getting exactly what they wanted. They, Lord, we want meat. We want meat. And then all of a sudden, they'll say, okay, the Lord is going to give them meat, except it's going to be loathsome. It's going to become disgusting to you. I'm going to give you exactly what you want, except it's going to be disgusting to you. In verse 20, because you have despised the Lord who is among you 
and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? Whoa. After all the Lord has done, he rescued them when they were in bondage. And now they're looking back. They're looking to their so-called, quote-unquote, glory days. Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? Be very careful if you ever hearken to the so-called glory days. Those aren't the glory days. The glory days. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, and I pray you are, you might be a non-believer listening. And if that's the case, repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He loves you. He wants intimacy with you. And you must believe in Jesus Christ. Hit pause. If that's you, if you're a non-believer, hit pause right now. Hit pause. Well, let me say this first. But, you know, hit pause. But let me say this. Just listen. So, so, so after you hit pause, scroll to a message how to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. How to receive him as Lord. And then listen to that. And say the sinner's prayer. You must repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And then when you're done with that, you know, collect yourself. Because when I repented, I was a mess, you know. When I came to Jesus Christ, I was a mess. So gather yourself and rejoice too. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, come back and listen. Continue in this message. So if that's you, if you're a non-believer, hit pause right now and do that. And if you're lukewarm, you know, hit pause right now and do that too. Because you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Put aside the crack. Put aside the sex. Put aside the alcohol. Put aside the tax cheat. Put aside everything. Deny it all for Jesus Christ. If that's you as a lukewarm believer, you might believe in Jesus Christ. You love Jesus Christ, but you also love your crack. Hit pause right now and recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Listen to that. Say the sinner's prayer. Come back to Jesus Christ. Recommit your life to Jesus Christ. And then come back and listen. The Lord is giving the people exactly what they asked for. And he says, it's going to be disgusting to you. You see, they were saying at the end of verse 20, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? Wow. Wow. That's the danger of the periphery, the danger of the outskirts, the danger of following Jesus at a distance. Close the gap. Let there be no distance between you and the Lord. You see, abide in him and he in you. Intimacy. Your glory days are ahead of you. Glory days. You hear people talk, you know, oh yeah, back in my glory days. I did this, I did that. That's the past. Who drives a car? You know how dangerous it is if you get in your car and you keep your eyes stuck on the rearview mirror? You know how dangerous? You're going to kill yourself. You're going to kill your passengers and you're going to kill somebody, a pedestrian. Get in a crash with another car, kill those occupants. You're going to kill yourself. A fool will keep his eyes on the rearview mirror. That's what a fool does. Don't be a fool. Keep your eyes on the narrow path, the straight way, the old path. In verse 21, and Moses said, the people whom I am, who, whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. You see, even Moses wonders in his intimacy with the Lord. Lord, how is this going to happen? We have multitudes of people. How are we going to feed them? 
You've said, Lord, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Verse 22, shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? So Moses is, you see a little bit of the strategy, the logic, the intellect that Moses is applying. Lord, Lord do we, what do we do? Do we do we take all our animals and chop them up and divide them evenly across the camp? We have animals, but everybody's got to get a little slice if this is going to happen. You see Moses applying his logic and intellect. Moses, his strategy. You see, the carnal, you know, you hear me say Moses as a type of Christ. You know, Joshua as a type of Christ, Joseph as a type of Christ. But you know what I love so much when we see these pictures of carnality in Moses, in Joshua, in Joseph, in David. Yes, they're types of Christ as a shadow of things to come. But I love, love, love when we see carnality in them not not the carnality but in knowing that yes they're a type of type of christ but not the christ merely a shadow of things to come not the christ because the christ in accordance with the old testament is coming i mean if we were in i mean like i kind of read when i read the bible i kind of like lock myself to wherever we are you know, it's like we're. Re- I mean, you, you hear me talk about like, like when we study numbers. You, I mean, you might be listening, like, man, this guy really thinks we're in the wilderness with Israel. You know, because that's why I think I kind of like place myself here in this in the passages in these pages. That's how I read. I love. You know, that's that's me personally. That's how I read. That's how I teach. So from Numbers eleven, it's like wow, as a shadow of things to come. Yes, Moses is a type of Christ, but when you see his carnality, his flesh, his applying of intellect and logic, it's not the Christ. Yes, a type of Christ, but not the Christ. You're going to see carnality in Joshua. Yes, a type of Christ, Yeshua. Yes, a type of Christ, but not the Christ. Just like Joseph, a type of Christ, but not the Christ. David, a type of Christ, but not the Christ. You see? Because the Christ is coming. And the Christ has come. Born of a virgin. The Christ has died. On a cross, sacrificed. And the Christ, his blood atones for your sin and my sin. And the Christ will return again. And will be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You and me and all who believe, we do it now willingly willingly much better is it to do it now willingly you must believe in jesus christ it's not a threat i don't you know say believe in jesus christ because you know or else you know it's not a threat but i mean when you read the bible and you understand like okay you know without jesus christ the the way the truth and life no one comes to the father but through me the way to paradise is belief in jesus christ the alternative is hell i don't care what anybody says where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, hell. Eternal separation from God. That's the alternative. One way. There is only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. He is the door. I don't care what anybody says. One way.
Virgin Mary? Nope. Doesn't work that way. Buddha? Nope. Muhammad? Nope. Hare Krishna? Nope. New Ageism? Nope. You see Kundalini? Nope. Baha'i? Nope. You see? You have the Mormons. The Mormons come in. Oh yeah, Jesus Christ. Nope, that's a different Jesus. You don't, you're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. You have, you've, you've created an imposter. Jehovah's Witness? Nope. You've created another Jesus. One way. One way. The alternative is hell. I'm just the messenger. You can hate me. I'm just the messenger. But it is written. Moses is applying his intellect and logic. He's strategizing. Okay, what do we do? We take all these animals. If I take an ox, I can chop it up. And every person gets, you know, uh, three pounds of beef. Every person, you know, they, they, okay, how are we going to do this, Lord? And I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. I try really hard not to. But grab a highlighter or a pen, whatever you use to highlight, you know, grab a highlighter and highlight verse 23 with, I mean, the deepest, the starkest highlighter you have or circle it a million times. So it just like, boom, jumps off the page. Do that to verse 23. I don't want to lord over you. And if I were to, I would do so in this highlight verse 23 because the Lord speaks. And the Lord said to Moses, quote, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Question mark. Whoa. Has the Lord's arm been shortened? What is impossible to God? What is impossible to him? The one who created the stars the heavens, the moon, the earth. Mountains melt like wax before his throne. What is impossible for him? Has the Lord's arm been shortened? The Lord, in his intimacy with Moses, is speaking thus to Moses. Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Some translations say, is the Lord's power limited? What is impossible with him? What is impossible to him? I'll give you the answer. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. Whoa. Even Moses has doubt. Moses, even now, you, you will see, you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. Whoa. Remember verse 23 for all of your days. For all of your days. Numbers 11 verse 23. Remember it. Bind it on your hearts. Bind it on your minds. Deep in your soul. Has the Lord's arm been shortened? question mark now you shall see whether what i say will happen to you or not end quote you see 
Now you see the obedience of Moses in verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. So the Lord gave him the blueprints. Verse 16, he gives him the blueprints. The Lord just lays it out. Moses, I want you to do this. And even Moses has doubts. Okay, what do I do? Chop up the ox like this? You know, how are we going to do this, Lord? And the Lord gives him a little spanking. Has, has my arm been shortened, he says? little spanking. Okay, Moses, I'm going to show you. You're going to see. And even still, Moses is obedient. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud. Very interesting. The Lord came down in the cloud. You know, God likes to write on the clouds. Very interesting how we see this. Remember, he's, he's coming again on the clouds. He's coming again on the clouds. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. Now, this is a kind of I have a little beef with the translators of, you know, of the because the original the original text in the Hebrew says that the, the, the spirit rested upon them, that they prophesied. And it translates in the Hebrew as they did not cease. It was just nonstop prophesy, prophecy, nonstop. They prophesy. And it says, although they never did so again. But how it translates to the Hebrews, they didn't stop. It was like nonstop. In verse 26, in closing, but two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other Medad. Eldad is God, God has loved Medad is loving affection. Very interesting, these names. The Hebrew meaning of these beautiful names. The love of God. Love and affection. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. So remember, the call was, you know, so so the Lord told Moses, Moses like in verse uh, um, 16, gather to me 70 men of the elders. So in obedience, the Lord, Moses, he says, okay, you know, he gives word, here's the list of guys, gather these guys and bring them to the tabernacle. So the, the message goes out, the word goes out, these 70 guys, they come to the tabernacle, except two. Two. So I say these 70, 68 guys came back to the tabernacle. But there were two, Eldad and Medad. They had not gone out of the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. Very interesting. So you have 68 guys who prophesied at the tabernacle. They did not cease. But then you have another two, Eldad and Medad, who prophesied in the camp. Very interesting. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, a beautiful, beautiful man, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them! Exclamation point. Notice Lord here, lowercase l. Lowercase l, not capital L, lowercase l. Moses, my Lord, forbid them! Exclamation point. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? I love this so much because you see the humility of Moses. The humility, you know, hey, Joshua, let's let God be God. Let's let God, don't, don't forget the fire. 
Remember the fire in the beginning of in our, in our, in our study here in Numbers 11? Don't forget the fire. Let's let the Lord be the Lord, Joshua. You know, Joshua as a, you know, Yeshua as a, 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 a type of Christ, but not the Christ. That's why I say I love this carnality that we see in certain men. I mean, I, I love the carnality because they're not the Christ. I love the carnality of Moses because he's not the Christ. A type of Christ, but not the Christ. Same with Joshua. A type of Christ, but not the Christ. So when you hear me say, I love the carnality, like David, when we're going to get to David, we're going to see some major carnality in David. Not to say, I love the act of the carnal nature, the works of the flesh. But I love it in terms of knowing that, yes, a type of Christ, but not the Christ. Because the Christ is coming and has come and will come again. Are you zealous for my sake, Moses says to Joshua? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Whoa, you see how beautiful this is? You see the humility of Moses. It's not a bad thing that Eldad and Medad didn't come. They're not here at the tabernacle. You know where they are? In the camp with the people prophesying. In the camp. Maybe the outskirts. A clarion call. Repent, 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 the Spirit of the Lord. You read Genesis to Revelation, and what do you see? Repent, 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 for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that's what I say to you. Repent, 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 repent. Be washed, be made new by the blood of the Lamb, because the kingdom of God is near. And Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. And a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp. Whoa, all these quail. You ever see? I mean, you can hear. You hear like one bird. You can hear. But multitudes of birds. Man, imagine the sounds, the feathers. I kind of have allergies. I'd be sneezing. About a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. Well, that's a lot of quail. I mean, say, for example, we're we're in a desert. Okay, boom. You and me were planted in a desert. And then we look out way in the distance, a little hill, you know, a little lonely hill. You say, wow, you know what? It's going to take a day's journey to get to that hill. A day's journey to get to that hill. Now that distance to the left that distance to the right, a day's journey to the left, a day's journey to the right, all that filled with quail, filled with quail. Remember the strategy of Moses? Okay, like what do we do? Like in verse 22, shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all, shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to, to provide? How are we going to do this, Lord? Do I take the ox? Do we take the ox and chop it up? You know, everybody gets, you know, two pounds here. If you have a family of five and you get like, you know, five pounds, or, you know, how does this work, Lord? Are we going to go fishing? Are we going to take everybody and go fishing? What are we going to do? How, how do we do this, Lord? Let's apply logic and intellect and, you know, let me strategize, Lord. How do we do this? And the Lord, Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. And indeed, Moses is saying, and Moses, not alone, the elders are seeing it and the people are seeing it. 
The people in the camp, oh, those are those people, they're doing their thing in the tabernacle. They're doing their things in the tabernacle. Yes, that's true. But there's Eldad and Medad too. God has loved and loving affection, Eldad and Medad. They're in the camp with the people. Prophesying nonstop. Prophesying nonstop. Same spirit, capital S. Same spirit, the spirit of the Lord. And then all of a sudden the quail comes. As far as the eye can see, a day's journey to the left, a day's journey to the right. That's a lot of quail. And not just that, two cubits above the surface of the ground. So you think it's not just one layer of quail. It is quail upon quail upon quail. And it's like, boom, we get to eat. We're going to have a feast. But the sad part is the people get exactly what they want in verse 19. Remember, you shall eat not one day nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome, it becomes disgusting to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? So the Lord is going to give them exactly what they want and it's going to be disgusting. It might not be disgusting to them on day one. It might not be disgusting on day two. But by the end of the month, it's going to be disgusting to them. Why? Because the Lord disciplines. He chastises those whom he loves. The same way he does with me, the same way he does with you. It's a lot of quail to eat. In verse 32, and the people stayed up all day, all that day, all night, and all the next day, and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers. That's a lot of, you know, I, I was kind of looking, or what's the, the measurement of a homer? Some said, you know, like 300 pounds, 400 pounds, 500 pounds. There was like variants. That's a lot of quail. That's the, that's the one who gathered the least. I mean, let's say it's the, the, the least measurement, you know, it, say 300. It was closer to 500, but say, say 300. The least the person that had the least amount of quail was 300 pounds of quail. That's a lot of quail to eat. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, so they, they cooked it up, they you know ripped out the feathers, you know, chopped off the head, cooked it up. Mm, this is good meat. This is some good eating right here. While the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people. Wow. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. Sometimes the Lord gives us exactly what we want. And then we realize the very thing we wanted grieved him. The very thing, Lord, I, I begged you for this, Lord. And yes, Lord, you gave it to me, but now it has become loathsome to me. That's why you hear me say, be careful what we ask for. Be careful what you ask the Lord for. And I don't want to say that as a warning. You make your prayer and supplication known to him. But remember, don't treat him like a genie. Don't rub your Bible and say, Lord, you know what? I want a new house. Rub your Bible. Lord, I want a new car. Lord, you know, I want, you know, a new job, you know, so that I can, you know, uh, whatever, buy a Lamborghini. Because he's not a genie. He is Lord. And he disciplines those whom he loves. 
as the people are eating while it was between their teeth, the meat they chewed before it was chewed, it was between their teeth. Like not even the bite, not teeth to meat contact. It was right between their teeth, ready to be chewed before it was chewed. And the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kebroth Hatava, which is uh, graves of the longing. You see? Because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. You see? Remember, they yielded to craving because they were following the influencers, the mixed multitudes. Be careful who you follow. You want to follow a hireling? I warn you. Don't do that. You want to follow a wolf? I also warn you. You want to follow a crackhead who stands at the pulpit? A pervert who stands at the pulpit? A sex head who stands at the pulpit? An alcoholic? The meth head? Marijuana? Oh, it's legal. It's legal. It's okay. That's nice. I don't care. You want to follow the meth head? You see? You want to follow one who says, oh, let's go grave soaking. Who wants to blaspheme the Holy Spirit by putting glitter in the rafters and making it pour down and call that the Holy Spirit? Blaspheme the Holy Spirit? And you want to follow that guy? You see? That's what happened. The people... They yield that when they had the mixed multitude, they started to you know murmur and complain. Oh man, we had it good in Egypt. The mixed multitude, and then the camp of Israel. You know what? You're right. We did have it good in Egypt. Remember all the meat we ate, the fish, the leeks, the garlic. Mmm, delicious. And they forgot about the shackles. They forgot about the chains. They forgot about bondage. And the Lord was displeased. They get manna. They get manna. They start to murmur and complain even more. The Lord gives them meat. Except with that meat, that meat became a curse to them because it became disgusting to them. And not only that, before they began to eat, the plague struck the people. Why? Because they yielded to the craving. From Kibroth Hatava, in closing, verse 35, from Kibroth Hatava, the people moved to Hazaroth and camped at Hazaroth. And you know what's so beautiful about this? Is that God is still with them. He hasn't left them or forsake them. He is still with them. Yes, He disciplines them. Because He disciplines those whom He loves. But at the same time, He is with them. He hasn't left them nor forsake them. You see? He chastises. He disciplines those whom he loves the same way he does with you, the same way he does with me. And when you're chastised, not if, when you're chastised by the Lord, don't hate him. Love him because of what is happening, what he is doing. In closing, I'm going to read something from Hebrews. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews chapter 12. You say, oh, I don't like Jason. I don't like to be spanked. But in closing, I'll read this from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, which I read quite often, but I'll never get tired of reading it. Now, 
No, ch- in verse eleven, Hebrews twelve. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. That's the right here. That's the right now. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline. Discipline and training is like peas and carrots. Because you undergo training requires discipline. The way of the disciple following Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. We're going to end our study here. God bless you guys. Love you guys.